my name is Matt, and I am on staff here at Harvest uh, with a high school youth group and also with Young Life. And uh, we've been talking about discipleship for the last couple weeks, and for some reason they asked me to share this morning. But before we get into that, um, to be honest, my heart is kind of heavy uh, this morning. I got a text um, from one of our Young Life leaders uh, who is also a dad that his son, um, who comes to our club as a sophomore, was in a pretty brutal car accident last night, and he has a lacerated lung, he has a broken nose, um, he's in the ICU on a respiratory machine. Um, currently, there's potential for brain damage um, as well, uh, but there's hope. The doctor said that um, that they're pretty hopeful for a situation that he'll be good to go. Um, but uh, this guy, the dad, he's also a pastor as well. And so uh, I just thought that, man, we got to cover this family in prayer this morning before um, before we start, because this is what it's all about. Uh, the, the body of believers comes together with hope in the midst of hurt uh, to seek our good king and our healer. Um, so would a couple people pray out? And then um, his name's Ryan. Um, and, and then I'll close us in prayer. Jesus, all our hope is in you. And Lord, would we be reminded of that in these circumstances this morning? But Lord, would the Monavinos just so press into their hope being in you? Lord, would you be near to them in their hearts hurting and, and being broken right now, especially their their little ones, Lord? Um, would you be so near to, to Ryan's little sisters and take care of them? Um, as they're scared for their older brother. And Lord, even in this state where it doesn't seem like Ryan's awake right now, um, Jesus, would your spirit be near to him? Jesus, would you be taking care of him as our great healer? Lord, thank you for how you care for us and love us. God, in this morning, um, would we respond to you? Uh, not just a message or, or even a, a passage from, from Scripture, Lord, but would we respond to what you're doing in our hearts? Lord, and what you're saying to each of us and what you're saying to us as Harvest, um, as the body of believers that we are here in Camus. Your name, amen. Thank you guys for praying with me in that. Um, so like I said, we're, we've been going through a, uh, a series on discipleship, and this is our third week now. Um, the first week, we kind of asked the question, why? Um, why discipleship? Both why discipleship for Harvest right now? Why is this a, a, a short series, which actually may be elongated? Uh, spoilers um, that we may be going into for a time. Why did why did we go that direction? And then also, um, why does Scripture make such an emphasis on discipleship? So so Gary shared with us that week that um, as staff and el- elders here at Harvest, uh, we talked about man where. What's God doing in the midst of our body right now? Where can we as a body grow? Like, what do we need to maybe realign our focus? Where where do we need to seek Jesus in this again? Um, not necessarily what have we gotten away from, but but maybe, um, but more so like with where our body is at. And we really looked at the fellowship that we have and, and the family feel that we've we've built. Um, and we, and we see from that like, man, we should really grow in what it means to go out and to disciple both um, both out in the world, but then also in this place as well. Because Greg shared with us last week, uh, the question was, what is discipleship? And, and, and all of us, 
that know and follow Jesus are disciples of Christ. Like there's no, you can't, you can't erase that. You are a disciple of Christ if you know and follow Jesus. And so we have an obligation not only to go out with this message of hope and to disciple others that are far from Christ, but then also for those that are close to Christ, we have an obligation to disciple one another, to be raising up one another um, in, in truth and helping each other grow as disciples of Jesus. Um, we have this definition that, that we keep referring back to, that discipleship is becoming like Jesus Christ in our heart, mind, and actions. And as we think about being a disciple or as we think about um, discipling others, let's always remember that definition, that in our mind, heart, and actions, we always are to be growing more and more like Jesus. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about how. How do we do this? Really easy, small subject. Um, not true at all. So there's going to be a lot that I cover. I'm very sorry and not sorry at all. Um, so with that, there's going to be certain things that stand out to you, and there's probably going to be certain things that don't. Uh, on, on your seat this morning, there was a little half sheet um, for you to take some notes, because I thought this was an awesome opportunity potentially uh, for us. Like, man, I want to walk away not just like thinking about this, but I want to have some tangible things that I can go home, I can meditate on, I can seek the Lord in. I really want my life to look different of how I live this out. Or I want to be encouraged with how I've already been living it out and all the more um, strengthen uh, my, my faith in the midst of it to continue to go out. So if you need a pen, Bruce is going to come down the aisle. If you could just shoot up your hand, if you'd like to take some notes, shoot those hands up. Bruce uh, will be be getting those to you as well. Um, and so as, as he passes those out, uh, this is what we're going to start with. What if right now I was like, okay, actually, surprise, we're ending the service early, and I am telling you to all go out and make a disciple. You have homework. Ready? Go. We're not actually doing that. Uh, but if I told you guys to get up, go out, and make a disciple, what is the first thing that you would do? What's the first steps that you would take? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Like, oh man, make a disciple. Maybe I should invite someone to be in a Bible study with me. Or, or maybe it's that I should go evangelize out on a street corner, tell people the good news, um, or maybe tell people the bad news, as some people do. Um, I should go out and invite one of my non-Christian friends to church. Or maybe one of my Christian friends, I should take them out to get a cup of coffee and we could talk about life, right? We have all these different things that we may think of. This is what it would look like for me to go and disciple somebody. As a, as a staff, as we've had conversations about what does it mean to be a disciple and to disciple others, we found that, that there's several of us here and then other people as well, as, as, as we've talked, that it's easy to kind of put this box around what we think discipling someone looks like, right? Uh, Greg last week talked about how um, sometimes certain people think that discipling someone is all formal, that they need structure, they need an outline, they need all these different things that they walk through someone with. And sometimes people think that it should all be informal, um, that it should all just be organic, right? That's a trendy Christian word to use. Um, organic, that it should just flow with life and, and there's no structure whatsoever. Um, and, and last week Greg told us whether it's formal or informal, like God uses it all. 
But this morning, as we, as we ask the question, how do we disciple, uh, what I want us to do is whatever our box is around discipling someone or being a disciple, I just want us to take it away. To all take all our, our things that we presuppose about discipling and, and get rid of all of them and just say, Lord, like, would you show me this morning what it means to really disciple someone, how I should walk this thing out? Because then our hope is, like as a staff and as a church, that we grow together in this. That it's not just that this person over here is growing and the rest of us still have our boxes or whatever, but, but collectively, right? We see in Acts when the first church is formed that they were of one heart and of one mind. Like, that's crazy. But God wants to do that same work in us through his Holy Spirit this morning and in the weeks to come uh, for the rest of our lives. So let's take our boxes off what we may think discipleship is. And maybe you have a really awesome box. Uh, you can put it back on afterwards if you feel like you need to. Uh, but just for this morning, let's take them all off and seek this together. Uh, and also this morning, one last preface. I'm not going to be able to cover it all. There's no way. Like, there's so many um, things about how we could disciple people that, that I could list and go into. And more so, I'm going to kind of give us um, a really broad view. I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of like, so with your employee that's, or with the, your fellow coworker that sits next to you, this is the kind of conversations you should have in your cubicle or with the grocery worker that you always like go through their line. This is what you should do with that. I'm not getting into all of that. We're going to take a step back and kind of look at the big picture of what does scripture show us? Um, how does scripture answer that question? Uh, how do we make disciples? So the first time that we see this charge take place is in Matthew uh, chapter 28, verse 18. I think Gary, Greg, and myself have all um, gone over this verse. I th- believe it's up on the screen. You can go there in your Bibles. That's the NIV. I'm reading out of ESV. Lost my NIV like this morning. It's the worst thing in the world. But We will endure. All right, so verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus gathers his his closest disciples, and we don't know if this is minutes or hours or, or whatever it is before Jesus ascends back up into heaven to be with his Father. But his last known charge that we have from him is to go make disciples of all nations. Come back next week because Gary's going to really talk about what that means and what that looks like to go go make disciples of all nations. Um, but this is Jesus' charge. And then he ascends back up into heaven. And whether it was instantaneously, as this group of men are standing around each other, Jesus' closest friends, his closest followers, um, they're, for one, saying that was pretty crazy. Um, And then, and two, they're probably like, what do we do now? And at some point, whether it was right in that moment or whether it was a week later, they'll remember Jesus' words of, go make disciples of all nations. And it's almost like they were out in the crowd when I asked this question, how are you going to do that? They're like, how are we going to do that? Like, how do we go out and make disciples? And thankfully, Jesus had all made them WWJD bracelets that they just looked down at, and they were like, that's right. What would Jesus do in this situation? 
we were Jesus' disciples, how did he disciple us? Because if we want to make disciples like he discipled us, we've got to do it like he did. There's no other way. So as we look to answer this question too, we've got to look at what Jesus did and how he discipled. And already, like as I say that, that's way scarier than reading a book on discipleship. That's way scarier than modeling our life after Francis Chan. Because this is the Lord of the universe that showed us how it's done. And so this is big stuff, but this is the, the mark. This is, this, is, this is where Jesus said, this is, you were to imitate me in this. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, so before we go there, I think sometimes the model of discipleship that we carry out, not necessarily just we here, but we as Christians or we as people, uh, we find someone, uh, we connect with someone uh, that doesn't know Jesus, right? And so as we start getting together with them, start talking with them, I'm a youth group leader uh, for high schoolers and a young life leader for high schoolers as well. I've been really susceptible to this, where I meet with a high school guy. We start talking. I start to see his life. He starts to share his life with me, all that kind of stuff. And it's quickly pretty easy to see the things that aren't aren't doing too hot, right? The areas potentially of sin or the areas where it's like, man, this guy's not trusting in God in this way and in that way and in this way and in that way and all these things. And it's like, okay, okay, before we move on like to anything else, let's kind of address these areas of sin, right? Let's address these ways that this guy doesn't trust God. And then the next thing, then maybe after some more time, then it's like, all right, like let's get more at your heart. Right? What are what are some of the deeper rooted things like going on in your heart? Things that happen with your family, yada yada yada. The things that that have gone on in your life where you don't trust Jesus. And then the next thing is like, okay, after we've taken care of that sin problem, and, and after we've taken care of your heart, and you trust Jesus now, now you belong. That is completely backwards, right? That that model of discipleship isn't what Jesus shows us whatsoever, that Jesus first and foremost said, you belong. This is where you've always belonged. You just didn't know it. And I'm going to care for your heart. I'm going to show you how much I love you. And after he's showed us that love, it's like we've got to deal with some of the sin problem, though. And, and I just know because of how I've been susceptible to it that, that discipleship doesn't start with us going in trying to fix somebody's sin problem, Right? It's it's not us trying to go in and, and help someone understand all the things that they're doing wrong. Like they gotta know they belong and they gotta know that they're loved before we could get to that. Because it probably in, in young life we talk about earning the right to be heard, like with a student. That who are we to come into their life and say, I have what you need, listen to me. No, it's about coming onto their level, coming into their world. And why we do that is because that's what God did. Because what we see is, is that, that the God of the universe came as a man. That In John chapter 1, it says the Word became flesh. Not, not that the Bible put flesh on, but God's very Word and truth about who He is came as flesh. That, that Jesus in every way could speak to and would show everyone who God truly is, the true character of the Lord. Um, and in Hebrews 4.15, I think we have a slide for this, it says, For we do not have a high priest, this is in reference to Jesus, 
who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just, just as we are, yet without sin. And then in Hebrews 2.17, for this reason, Jesus, or he, was made like his brothers in every way. And it continues on from there. Hebrews makes it clear that in every way, our Lord and our Savior came like us to sympathize, to understand us, to be on the same level in certain ways. It's this crazy, fully God, fully man that we can't wrap our brains around. But Jesus totally met people, met his disciples in their world, technically his world, but in their minds, on their, in their world, on their level. Um, and that's what we've got to do, too, with people. Uh, often I've found that in church we, we expect people to come to our thing, but we don't always go to their thing. Right? We want we want our friends that don't know Jesus to come to church with us or, or or in youth group. I want my friends to come to youth group with me, or I want students to come to youth group, or I want students to come to young life, but but am I going to them to show to, to emphasize with that invitation I make for them to come be with me that first and foremost I want to be with them and that's what's most important. Not for them to be at this thing or this event, but this relationship, this this give and take right here, that's what's most important in this process. Um, that's what we call that, and I don't like the term, but in Young Life we call it contact work, or, or better uh, said, maybe relationship building, that, that we, we go to where students are at. Um, we don't just expect them to come to our thing. We meet them at their games, and we meet them at lunch. We meet them at places like Menchie's or wherever where, where it's, it's, it's their world, right? But yet then Jesus, in, John, in uh, John's gospel as well, then has this moment where as he's calling his first disciples, as he's calling the guys that are going to end up following him, um, he, he interacts with a guy named Philip. And Philip's asking him, uh, what are you about? Like, where do you live? Like, who are you? Like, I've heard some of your teaching, all this kind of stuff. And Jesus doesn't explain it all right there in front of him. What Jesus says is, come and see who I am, where I live what I'm about. And so then Philip, he like runs off, um, finds his friend Nathaniel, and he's like, dude, I met this guy Jesus. He's awesome. You should come check him out too. And then Nathaniel's asking some of those same questions like, this guy, like he came out of Nazareth. What good can come out of Nazareth? And then Philip's like, come and see. And so he like re regurgitates like what Jesus said to him. Um, and so then Nathaniel ends up coming and seeking out Jesus as well. And, and, and Jesus, in the midst of being in their world, then invites them to come and see what his world is all about. That his world is a world full of grace, full of truth, full of love, full of hope, in the midst of hardship, still having hope that God is in the midst of it. Um, a world full of healing, a world full of serving. And Jesus, as we see, as we read the Gospels, lives this out with his disciples. He's in their world but then invites them in a huge way to see what his world is all about. And as I have uh, walked with students or discipled students or friends, this is one of the most powerful things that we can do, is to go into their world, meet them where they're at, and then invite them into ours, um, into, all of, in, into all of our life. Because how else, right? If you, if you have a newborn baby, 
and, and, and that baby is a day old, uh, you're not going to be like, all right, baby, I'll see, you, I'll see you at home. We've got dinner tonight. Um, if you could be there. And then also we're meeting again on Sunday. If you could come um, this coming Sunday, that'd be great. Uh, your newborn baby, no, you're inviting that baby. You're taking that baby like to be a part of your world. You're meeting him on the baby's like level, right? You're not like, all right, baby, we're going to talk about theology tonight and you're going to understand all of it. Um, but you're meeting this baby where it's at, inviting him to do life with you, to see how our family dynamic works out, to see how we love each other, to grow up in the midst of that love and that example of our family. And it should be the same thing with people that we are seeking to disciple, uh, that, that we meet them where they're at on, on their, their level, their playing field. And then we say, man, I want you to be in my life to see all aspects of it. I want you to see how I love my parents. I want you to see how I love my kids. I want you to see how I interact with my teammates on my sports team. I want you to see um, how I respond to my teachers. I want you to see how I do homework. I want you to see how I balance my checkbook. I want you to see how, as I'm driving, if somebody cuts me off, what finger I put up. Um, I want you to see like how I respond in loss. I want you to see um, when my kids aren't listening to me, how I respond in that. I want you to see how I pray. I want you to see how I love my husband or my wife. That's what discipleship is all about. Jesus invited these guys to be in every aspect of his life. If you don't believe me, we're going to look at a couple instances. Um, Because there's actually, while Jesus had 12 disciples, uh, there was three that, that he was totally intentional with in a different way. And some I didn't actually recognize this for a while, actually, but with Peter, James, and John, there's several instances in Scripture where we almost get to see this intensified picture of how Jesus is discipling these three guys. And I think there's something that we can take away from it as well. So in this first, um, in this first section, just to recap kind of where we're at, um, this is when Jesus uh, has been summoned by this man, Jairus. And Jairus has a huge problem because his little girl is sick and is dying, and he wants Jesus to come and heal his daughter. Well, Jesus gets hung up. This is the story then where the, the woman who has been bleeding touches the edge of his robe uh, or his cloak. And, and so Jesus gets hung up there. Um, shortly after that, then some of Jairus' servants come and say, Jairus, don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter is dead. And yet Jesus presses on and says, no, like take heart. Like God is still working in the midst of this. And so then we see in Mark chapter 5, verse 37, it says that Jesus, as he went up to this um, little girl's room, he said he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Pretty interesting. Like Jesus leaves out those other nine guys, like, little competition probably going on there. Um, but uh, Jesus leaves them out, and for some reason he brings these three, and then it says the family members, into the room where this little girl is dead. And, and we don't have time to go through the whole passage, but in essence what, what takes place, what happens, is then Jesus speaks to this little girl, Talitha Kum. I don't know if I'm saying that right, um, but what it means is little girl rise. 
And this little girl wakes up from her sleep or from her death and stands and is alive and well. What is Jesus showing us about discipleship in the midst of this passage? Well, one of the things that I found that is so important with discipleship and often what we don't do is that Jesus quickly invited his disciples to be in the midst of ministry with him, to be in the midst of what God was doing, to be in the midst of seeing God's power in a huge way. I think often we think of discipleship as I've just got to teach you, right? Like, let's sit down, let's talk about life, and let me just teach you how to trust Jesus. And while Jesus most likely did that since they spent every day together, he also invited them into going out and loving people to see what he was all about. That in this moment, Peter, James, and John see God raise from the dead this little girl. They get to see the power of God come through Jesus, to see his ministry of healing, to see his ministry of redemption. As we disciple people, as we're involved with Harvest Kids, right? are, are we bringing someone alongside us that, that they're seeing the ministry of us loving these elementary school kids in the midst of that? Um, as we go out and feed the homeless, is there somebody that we're bringing along to see and be a part of? Maybe they don't fully get it yet. They don't have to. The disciples didn't. They didn't really fully get it until after Jesus left. <laughs> um, but he brought them along to see what he was doing. Another part of Scripture shows where he sends out the 72, two by two, and he says, go, I've given you all um, power and authority, um, so go out and heal, cast out demons. Like Jesus gives away ownership in the midst of his ministry to invite them into a place that they had never been invited before. As we disciple people, um, do we not just see where they are now, but do we see who God wants to make them? who God is making them to be and say, yep, you've never done this before, but step into it with me and see who you, who you can be in Christ. That was done with me. There is no way that I should have helped out at the camp that I helped out with where I was at with Jesus when I was first invited um, to disciple students. Um, there's no way. <laughs> there's none. Um, and if you want to know more about that, you can ask me about it. But, in the midst of me trusting Jesus, in the midst of me saying, Lord, there's no way I can do this without you, God showed up in such a huge way in my life. Sometimes we want to be so careful, like, oh, I don't think we can trust this person with this. I don't think they're ready for it. Well, do we trust God? Because he's ready for it. He's ready to move in their hearts for them to step into someone that they haven't ever been before. That's what totally took place in my life. Moving on, uh, Mark chapter 9 uh, in this, we see Jesus bring Peter, James, and John, as it says. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. Uh, and we do not have time to talk all about what transfigured means, because um, I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know if anybody could really say they know. Uh, but what the passage talks about that happens, that up on this mountain in this in this safe um, in this quiet, in this lonely place where Jesus often went away to be alone with his father. We see that he, he got away in lonely times of the night or early in the morning to pray and to be with his father, that this time he brings these three guys with him. 
And what takes place is that, that all of a sudden, like God's booming voice comes down, um, like it does when Jesus is first baptized. And he says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And then all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah pop up, and they're there to party too. It's like, what's going on here? And then Jesus is like swagged out by his dad, and his clothes are like sparkling white. And like, so that's, I mean, I don't know what's going on, but in transfiguration, that's what they talk about. So what does this mean for discipleship? Why would Jesus bring these three guys to be a part of this moment? Well, Jesus is inviting them to see this intimate relationship that he has with his father. As we walk alongside people, do they get to see our intimacy with Christ? Or do we just tell them about it, right? Do do we just tell them that, this is what it looks like to trust Jesus. This is what it looks like to follow him. Or, or in our prayers, um, in how we live our life, do we invite them to see these moments or to be a part of these moments uh, where they see, man, this, this guy or this girl, they really trust Jesus with everything. They have this love relationship with God. There's certain people that, that I've had in my life where, and, and maybe you've had them as well, where when you pray with them, it's like, oh my gosh, you know the Father's love. It's just crazy. There's this lady, Rhea, some of you may know her, um, that it's our kind of like prayer warrior for, for young life. And as she prays, it's like, you are feeling like the Father's sweetness and mercy right now as you pray. Like, it is so good to be here. Like that's what Jesus, or that's what Peter says, like to Jesus. The only thing that he can respond with is, man, this is good for us to be here. I don't know what's going on. It's crazy. Maybe we should set up some tents and hang out a little bit longer, see what else happens. Maybe uh, David and Abraham will show up too. Um, but as we walk with people, do they, do they see our intimacy with Christ? With students, a lot of the time, something that's really scary for them is to pray, both quietly and out loud. And a lot of the time, I think that's because we say, pray, right? All right, let's pray for the Monovinos, for in, in, uh, instance, in this situation. And they're like, I don't know how. Like, I'm going to say the wrong thing. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know how to, uh, how to, like, cite scripture in the midst of my prayer. And then all of a sudden to, like, have these metaphors in my prayer to talk about who you are. Um, are we showing people how, how we talk in the relationship that we have with our Father in the midst of our prayers? Finally, Mark chapter 14, um, verse 32. This is after the Last Supper. Jesus takes his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. It says, um, he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to, deep, to be deeply distressed and troubled. Uh, to the others, he says, sit here while I pray. This is maybe the craziest instance to me of Jesus discipling these three guys. Because our King, our Lord, our Savior, is asking men to pray for him. Like, think about that. Like, God is asking people to go to his Father and pray for him, to lift him up. Something that 
oftentimes I think is a lie that we believe as we disciple people is that we have to have all our stuff together. Um, that I better, you know, I, I better be reading my Bible every morning or I, I can't have that area of sin in my life or I can't be struggling with this right now because I've got to be a good example to them. And yes, we are to be a good example. But what Jesus shows in the midst of this example, in the hardest day of his life, in the most intense moment that he would ever face, he didn't go off to just be alone in the midst of this. He invited his closest friends the guys that he's discipling, that he's pouring into, he invited them to be with him, to lift him up to his father. He said, I need you guys right now. I need you to pray for me. Because when life gets hard, when life gets rough, when things go out of control, we need the people that we're discipling to know who we go to and who we run to. And they need to know also that we do struggle that we do um, still at times battle our flesh, that we still do fall into sin. A lot of the time, the guys that I had discipling me in high school, uh, I just viewed them up on this stage, that they were up on this pedestal, that that they were were doing everything right and there was no way I was going to ever be like them because I never got to hear where they struggled. And one of those guys ended up actually having an affair later and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Another guy, his, his, his wife ended up cheating on him and leaving him. Um, but I never heard about it. I just all of a sudden saw my youth leader just walk away. And I didn't know what was going on. And so I got this like veneer of like, life's always good, life's always good, until it's not, and then we run. Um, no, Jesus invites the people that he's discipling to be with him, even in the most intense and dire of situations. Um, I got a text from Chris Monavino, the the dad whose son is in the ICU right now this morning. Uh, And and tonight he has his campaigner group, which is a group of, um, it's like a small group with his Young Life guys. Um, And one of the things that that he asked me to be praying for and us to be praying for is like, would you pray that God uses this in these guys' lives so they trust him more, that they turn to him more? That is discipleship. His son is hooked up to a respirator. And Chris isn't just so focused on that that he misses out on this opportunity that God has in the midst of this for him to be glorified in the lives of these guys that he's walking alongside. He wants to be there tonight with those guys. And he asked me and and my senior guys to be there too and and to pray for for Ryan and for their family. Chris's life and even his own son's life isn't so important that he misses an opportunity for discipleship. That's crazy. I want to be like Chris when I grow up. That's awesome because he trusts that God is going to even use the worst of situations to bring about his glory, to bring about redemption, to bring about healing. So how do we implement this? I'm going to have to start speeding up a bit. Um, Because Jesus shows us this is a life thing. This isn't just something that we can implement, this like structured or, or, or this, uh, this thing that we go through, um, the word's escaping me right now, uh, this pro- programmatic kind of thing where it's like step by step I'm going to follow this, like, that Jesus shows that, that this is about, about doing life with people, both being in their life and them being in ours. And I'm not trying to say that programmatic or structured things are bad, uh, 
I think those things are good, but only under the umbrella of doing life with someone. And that asks a lot more from us. Um, Because what opportunities do we have to implement some of these things right now in front of us? Uh, If you guys want to turn to 1 Samuel, it's going to seem weird, but 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is in the midst of a story that most of us probably know pretty well, David and Goliath. But maybe we get to see it in a different way this morning. Chapter 17, verse 17. And Jesse said to his son, David, take for your brothers an ephah, I think, of this parched grain and these ten loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also, take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well, and bring some token from them. Or bring back the news. Um, why are we looking at this passage? <laughs> right? Whoa, sorry. Uh, so, Jesse asked David to go out to the battlefield to bring some bread, bring some grain, bring some cheese uh, to his brothers, and then to return home. What ends up happening? David goes with the bread, with the grain, with the cheese. He delivers it. But in the midst of it, Goliath is calling out that, in essence, God's people, the Israelites, are pansies and that nobody wants to face him. Um, And so that God must be pretty weak if his people don't want to stand up. And David says, nobody's going to talk about my God that way. Like, I will stand, I will fight, I will face you because my God is the mighty God. My God is the conqueror. David could have just delivered the cheese and gone back home. But instead, because David was intentional about what is God doing in this circumstance, what is God doing in my midst, I'm going to step into this trusting him. I'm not just going to go through the motions. Um, And he got to see the power of God in such a huge way where he slayed a giant in the process, this young guy. A group of guys that I discipled for a while, we talked about not just delivering the cheese. I guess we go through life. It's something that we say to each other. So as you go to school today, are you just going to school, doing your homework, and coming home? Are you just delivering the cheese? Or are you going to school and saying, God, where are you at today? Like, who do you want me to love? As we go to work, as we're on rec teams, as we're at the grocery store, um, as we're dropping our kids off at school, as we're going to school, in all the different areas that we're involved with, do we sometimes just deliver the cheese? We just check in for what we're supposed to do and then check back out again? Because what Jesus showed us in doing life with people and discipling people, that it takes intentionality. It takes seeking the Spirit. It takes seeking what God's doing in their midst. This is a big undertaking to always ask God, Where are you at work? What are you doing? How do you want to use me right now? How can I be praying? Who should I come alongside? And as I was thinking about this, sometimes it's really easy to do this on Sunday mornings or in our community groups or at youth group or whatever the case may be, that we go into it just being like, I'm going to church today. I went to church today. (laughs) Gosh, 
I need to stop breathing out my nose. Um, or I'm going to my community group, and now I'm going back home. Like God wants to do something so different when we come into this place with all these other believers, when we go to our community group, when we, when we spend time together, right? It's not just discipling everybody else out in the world, but, but as I'm about to read in um, this book called Follow Me, uh, this, is, this is what the author, David Platt, um, says about discipling one another. In the church, we belong to one another and care for one another in such a way that we are responsible for one another. Being a member of a church means so much more than standing next to someone else and singing some songs once a week. Being a member of a church means realizing that we are responsible for helping the brothers and sisters around us to grow as disciples of Jesus. In the same way, they are responsible for helping us. We desperately need each other in the daily fight to follow Christ in a world that's full of sin. I want to be better at not just showing up, checking in, and then checking out. Like, I don't want to... I don't want to just deliver the cheese. And I'd ask that you guys do that with me, that we do that together, that as we come together, as we go out, as we do life with people, uh, that we would seek what God's doing and where he's at. There was more I was going to talk about, but I'm going to skip through it really quick. For one, discipleship is hard. Doing life with people sacrificing in this way, making our lives about what God's doing and about others is one of the hardest things we could do because we have to stop thinking about ourselves a lot of the time in the midst of it. We have to be patient that we're not always guaranteed that we're going to see the fruit of our labor. I've had so many students that I go to camp with. I, I, I tried to help them front, fundraise to get them there. I invited them to club. Um, we had an awesome time together. They're like, I want to follow Jesus. And then we get back home, we start doing some campaigners or small group together, and, and then school starts, and then I see them at school and they pretend like they don't know me. Right? I've had that happen a couple times. I've had people say, Matt, I'm all in. I want to do this with you. I want to, whatever the case may be. Um, and then I see them on Twitter, I see them on Snapchat or whatever, drinking it up, living it up. And I'm like, dang it. Like, what happened, Lord? Is all that I did, all that I was a part of, was that just wasted? No, it wasn't. Because our hope isn't in what we can do. Our hope is in what God's going to do through what we did and what he's going to continue to do. I just got a text a couple weeks ago from a guy that's in the military. And to be honest, when he went off to the military, I was like, man, his life is about to get real gnarly real quick. Because he wasn't trusting in Jesus. He didn't want to. And yet he texted me this long text about how God's gotten a hold of him through one of the other guys that he's stationed um, there with, and that he's like, I'm trying to read my Bible every day now and trust in you more, Jesus. Like, we have no idea what God's going to do with people. And discipleship is also failure at times. We will both experience the failure of people walking away, not wanting any part of it, and we'll also experience the failure of us doing it wrong and messing up. And yet Jesus invites us into it still. Look at the guys that Jesus first said, go make disciples. Look at Peter, all the times he made mistakes, the mistakes he made after Jesus left. The other guys as well, he continued to invite them, no, go. Like, I'm changing your heart. I'm growing you in this. Because as discipleship is so hard, it's also the best thing that we could ever do. 
the best thing we could ever be a part of. John 15 tells us three things to be a part of and to do over and over again. It says, remain, be pruned, um, and bear fruit. That we are to remain in Jesus, that we are to be pruned so that we may grow, to take away the things that, that we don't need anymore, that God wants to take away out of our lives, and to bear fruit. As we disciple people, not only do they experience these things, but we as individuals experience it as well. We have to remain in Jesus. We have to be growing, have things pruned. Um, And then also, hopefully, we will bear fruit of seeing more baby Christians, more people come to know and follow Jesus. Um, Last thing, and I don't have to show the slides. So this is kind of a shameless plug. I'm not trying to manipulate the crowd whatsoever, but maybe you're out there right now and it's like, how do I do this? What are the first steps do I take? Who do I do this with? Well, first I'd say, just look at your lives and who do you do normal patterns and rhythms with already? Like who just continues and pray about that too? Who shows up in your life? This guy that you work with or this guy you always seem to run into at the gym or this girl um, that, that you, you guys go shopping together sometimes or, or your kids play together or whatever the case. Look for the natural patterns and rhythms. Like who can you up your intentionality with? Who can you seek Jesus? How would you have me disciple them? Or if you can't think of anyone in the three seconds I just gave you to think about it. Um, so this summer... We are taking more kids to Young Life Camp than we ever have um, in, in the history of Camas, um, Washougal, East Clark County. Uh, we're taking over 60 to Washington Family Ranch, and we're taking, I think, over 40 to Malibu. And then the middle school camps are big as well. Currently, um, one of the reasons that we've had to stop uh, registration or people signing up for camp is we don't have enough leaders to go with students. And and, and we're not just looking for leaders that are going to go to camp and be like, this is awesome, this is the best, um, and then say peace out. Like We're looking for people that want to follow up with these students, that will be committed to to walking with them, whether they trust Jesus or not, in their lives. Uh, Currently, we need three more girls for Malibu. We need another guy for Malibu. Um, We need another guy for Canyon, um, and we need another girl. And we need more people on top of that if we want to open up camp to other people. So I'd ask you guys to prayerfully consider, like, could God call you to want to disciple these students? Because I could list for you all the different leaders that I've had, and a lot of them, when they first got involved with Young Life, they were like, there's no way I can do this. I'm not funny enough. I'm not um, outgoing enough. I'm not crazy enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. Yet God has grown them into who he wants them to be. There's no model of who is supposed to disciple who. God's going to use you in the midst of the situation you're in. I'm going to invite up the band to close us with a couple songs. Um, Sorry I didn't give you more time, Lex. Uh, But as we have so many things that we center our lives around, um, so many things that are so important to us, whether it's family or or our job or our hobbies, activities, our sports team, um, our alone time, God has given us something that lasts forever. God has invited us into discipleship that, that can be eternal. We have so many things in our lives that fade away. School, jobs, friends, family at times. God has called us to disciple. God has given us something that he says, will you be a part of this with me? Because the implications will last forever. Um, I'll pray and then we'll sing.
Lord, thank you for who you are. I don't understand why you invite us into this, Jesus. Why you choose to need us in the midst of this. Why you choose and you say it's best that we go out and and deliver this message of hope and this message of life to people. But Lord, would we have to search our hearts and would you search our hearts for how we could live this out? Thank you, God, for the work that's already being done for people that are discipled in this church and outside of it through these people. Lord, would you grow us here at Harvest and what this looks like? Um, yeah, God, and would, would we take joy in discipling people? Would it be something that we get excited for? In your name, amen.